name is Cody Wason. For those of you that I haven't met yet, I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch and want to wish you a happy Cinco de Mayo. All right, show, show of hands, who's already eaten some Mexican food? Oh, y'all, this is rough. All right, all right, all right, hold on, there's hope. Raise your hand if you're going to eat Mexican food. All right, we need to work on that for next year. Okay, well, hey, last week we started a series looking at the book of Acts, looking at the early church and talking about what is church. What is church today in 2019? What are we called to? What's our mission? We talked about that church isn't clean and tidy and organized. It's a little messy, and that's okay when the mission is clear. We're going to continue on in that series, but before we do that, I just want to attend to a couple family matters and make a couple announcements. So, um, there is someone that some of you know uh, in the room, and some of you don't know, but you all should know. Um, can you clap or honor or do something, make some noise as Lucas Griffin makes his way to the stage? Come here, come here. All right, so... I love this man of God. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, me and Lucas go way back. We actually were roommates in college. Um, we were two of ten guys that lived in a house in college, and it was, it was awesome. But hey, I just want to take a second to honor Lucas. Um, a couple of years ago, he stepped in uh, and filled a role that is a very unique role. Not many people are cut out for it. And that is he filled the role of kids director. So what he's been doing for about two years is he's been running our, our Sunday services over there in the kids' building. He's been putting together, together curriculum. He's been getting all the stuff ready. He has loved our kids. He's laid his life down for our kids. And uh, honestly, it is, a, it is not normal. For, uh, just like I love my own kids most of the time. Uh, but to lay my life down, uh, I'm just kidding, I, I, I love my kids. But to lay my life down for other people's kids, it's a rare trait, and it's a rare gift, and Lucas has done it. He did it when he was a volunteer. Uh, he then stepped onto staff, and he did it amazingly. Um, he's just, if you know Lucas, he hates this moment right now. He hates the spotlight, um, but he deserves it. He, he's a, I don't throw these, like, these aren't platitudes. He's a man of honor. He's a man of integrity. He's a man of service. So, uh, as Kate and I and as our leadership team here in the church, we're praying through the next season of life for our church, uh, two things became apparent. Uh, and, and one of those things is that the role that Lucas has been filling as kids director, uh, we felt like pretty clearly needed to shift from kids director to a kids pastor role. And what that meant was uh, we needed, we felt like God was initiating with us that there needs to be a, a pastor that is pastoring families and pastoring kids and connecting with families and having families over for dinner. And I sat Lucas down a, a week and a half ago or so, and I said, hey, this is the direction we're going. And honestly, I just don't know if you're the right guy for that role. Uh, it'd be hard for you uh, to be the kid's pastor in this season, and it just doesn't feel like it's the right fit. And it was a really hard conversation. It was really sad for me. It was sad for Lucas. But the man that he is, within like 24 hours, he was like telling us on staff, like, that's the right call. The, the best thing for the church is if he was to step off staff and step out of that role, and if we were to get a kid's pastor in the position that can pastor families. And so Lucas is stepping off staff. And he's stepping out of the role of kids director. And uh, we just couldn't be more thankful for the way you've laid down your life. Our, I've told, 
Amen. He deserves it all and much more. We love Lucas. Why don't you go sit down? I'll let you get off stage. That's the, great, that's the greatest thing I could do for him in that moment. Okay, so as we were praying, um, and that became clear, it became clear that we needed a family in that role. And then as we continued to pray, there was another role that became apparent that we were looking to fill. Um, the amazing Kate Wason has been, that's my wife, if you're just not connecting the dots, um, has been uh, serving in the role of family's pastor. But if you, if you missed it uh, last week, I talked about um, she's been having some health issues for about 18 months, and in three weeks she's having surgery, and she's going to be kind of pulling back and focusing on her recovery. And so as we prayed through this, like, okay, what's going on here with kids and families? It became like, hey, we, we think a kid's, pa- a kid's pastor is needed and a family's pastor. And as we continued praying and just seeking counsel and seeking the Lord, it became clear to us that those roles were going to be filled by one couple, one family. And as we kept praying and kept pursuing God, it became clear who that family was. So I would love for you to welcome and honor and make noise for Murray and Lakin Watts. So let me just honor the Watts for a second. If you are in their world, then you know um, the life that they're leading right now is not normal. It is a life that is filled with the Spirit, the power of God. They are seeing people come to know Jesus, set free. They're baptizing people. I feel like every week I get a text from Murray, baptize someone else. (laughs) Just like, it's just super cash now. It's like, hey, we're baptizing our bathtub. This is the normal thing now. We're just going for it. And when you fill a position, especially a pastoral position, position in the church. We're, we're, we're placing them in a position of authority to walk with people, to honor people, to draw families in, to point them to Jesus, to share wisdom, all those things. There's a good rule of thumb, and that is you don't want to fill that position with someone you're hoping will grow into the role. You want to fill that position with someone who's already doing it. And they have been doing it from day one. They have been laying their life down for the church, and we could not be more excited. So uh, just to let you know, um, Lakin is actually here right now, like kind of on a time crunch because she's over there serving in kids. Lakin will be uh, focusing on the kids' pastor side of things. Uh, Murray will be focusing on the family's pastor, which will be over families' life groups and making sure discipleship's happening and covering is happening throughout all families. But together, they will both be the families and kids' pastor. So will you give it up for them one more time? And you can exit stage right. Man, good things are happening. Isn't it good to all be together? Man, I love when we have to tell people to scoot in. That is good stuff. Okay. All right, so let's go into tonight. So my goal, my hope for this series, things just got messy with, as we look at the book of Acts. My goal for this series is that we would let Acts be the mirror, that we would let the Bible really speak for itself. And so as I was reading through the, the, <laughs> my notes and, and reading through the first couple of cha- chapters of Acts, I realized last week was supposed to serve as my introduction to the series, but I talk a lot. I'm really good at it, 
And what I noticed in my notes as I went back and listened is in my introduction to the series, I actually went through almost the first two chapters of Acts. So what we're going to do tonight is I'm going to do a quick review so we're all on the same page of what happened in Acts chapter 1, take us through the first part of Acts chapter 2, and then we're going to end um, as we will end, um, we'll finish chapter 2 and look towards chapter 3, okay? So if you want to turn uh, or open your Bible to page 985, if you're using the same Bible as me, uh, wherever it is in your Bible, just turn to the book of Acts, that's where we'll start. Marissa got it. Marissa got the joke. <laughs> All right, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Well, you can follow along on the screen. So let's just do a quick review here. Acts chapter 1, the first 15 verses. I'm going to highlight, and it's up on the screen. These are the highlights of the first 15 verses. Okay, now the onus is on you. If we want to read through the, the first 13 books of Acts together over the next nine weeks, you got to do some reading. So I'm not going to read through the whole, the whole thing here on Sunday. We just don't have time for it. So here are the highlights. I'm not being sacrilegious. Uh, I'm just, these are the highlights. Jesus commands the apostles to go to Jerusalem and to await the promised Holy Spirit. We talked about that last week. It was confusing. They didn't understand it at first. But Jesus just says, go to Jerusalem and wait. Then Jesus returns to heaven. Things get even more confusing. The disciples don't, even, don't know what's going on even further. But they obey, and the apostles and the believers, they travel to Jerusalem, and they arrive where they're staying in a room that is called the upper room. So that is the first 15 chapters, now, uh, verses, rather. I want to pause really quick, and I want to read uh, verses 13 through 15, so the end of this first half of chapter 1. Uh, so starting in verse 13, it's kind of like a roll call, but pay attention because it's going to come back in a few minutes. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and, the Mary, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. So roll call on who is there in the upper room in Jerusalem uh, is 120 believers, and those were some of like the big names and big wigs you would, you would need to know. Just log that away. We're going to go back to that in just a second. Now let's look at the rest of uh, the highlights of Acts chapter 1, six, verses 16 through 26. So Peter stands up, and he tells all the people gathered, hey, look, Judas, the one that betrayed Jesus, he died He's dead in a field somewhere. It's time for us to pick his replacement. So they all start praying. The apostles start praying and talking. They end up casting lots and praying uh, over them. And Machias is chosen to be the new, uh, one of the new apostles. And that is how the uh, book one of Acts ends. And that leads us to Acts chapter 2. And the heading in Acts chapter 2 in your Bible is probably going to be something along the lines of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, something along those lines. So we talked about that heavenly, uh, heavily last week, but I'm going to read the first four verses of chapter 2. So this is Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. All right. I don't know if you caught that. 
So let me highlight it for you. Remember, I told you, like, genealogies and roll calls, man, they're some of the greatest revelation in Scripture if you'll just dig into those. Okay, so here we go. Let's look at verse 14 of chapter 1. They all joined together constantly in, in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And when you skip down to Acts 2, 1, 2, what does it say? When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came, and the Holy Spirit falls. So here, let's, just, let's just zoom out again here and see what's happening, because I think we're going to sit here for just a minute, because I think this is something the Lord has for us tonight. So here's what's happened. Jesus says a really confusing command. Go to Jerusalem and wait. The Holy Spirit's coming. And that's all he says. Go to Jerusalem and wait. And then he goes to heaven. Like he just takes it a step further. He just leaves. And so they go. There's a promise from Jesus. They choose to obey when it doesn't make sense. They show up in Jerusalem. They find a room where they can all fit. And there, what do they do? Verse 14 says, they join together constantly in prayer along with the women and the Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And when the day of Pentecost came, where were they found? Together, waiting, praying, and trusting. See, what, is the, what are the apostles, what are the early church teaching us in this moment? That when God speaks a promise, when God speaks direction, we might not understand it. It doesn't have to make sense. They, look, when they showed up in Jerusalem, they didn't know what they were looking for. They didn't know how long they were going to wait. They didn't even know really what was going to happen when the Holy Spirit came. And to be honest, they, weren't really, they didn't have the full picture of why the Holy Spirit was coming in the first place. I mean, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's going to come. You're going to have power. You're going to be my witness. And then he left. There were so many questions surrounding what was happening, what was going on, what was Jesus doing. But they waited and they prayed, and they pressed in. They chose Jesus. They trusted Jesus. They trusted the leadership of Jesus. They waited on the leadership of the Holy Spirit. They didn't say, you know what, after a few days, you know what, I wonder if he actually meant go to Judea. Did he really say Jerusalem? Are we in the right place? Is he really going to show up? Is the promise really going to happen? They, they showed up. They obeyed. They waited, they prayed, they chose Jesus, they chose to trust Jesus when it didn't make sense. They were, this is what we would call devotion. They were devoted to Jesus. We call that devotion when you trust Jesus more than you trust your own senses, more than you trust your own logic, more than you trust your own strategy. When you choose to trust Jesus and wait on his leadership and believe he's got the best for you, when it doesn't make sense, when the people around you are like, you know what, uh, it's not happening, it's not coming, or we got the wrong word, or we just missed it on this one, or, or maybe Jesus meant something completely different, they were devoted. They stayed and they prayed and they pressed in. I think some of people in the room tonight has nothing to do with like where we're going as we look at the book of Acts, but some of us in the room are contending for promises, and we're met with that gap where we feel like God's promised something or God's given us some direction or we've been obedient in some way, but what next? And we can get, we're, we're I mean, I'm the most impatient one of us all, but we're all impatient people. 
And we can start coming up with our own reasons why we need, to, we, need to, we need to deviate course. We need to try something different to try and get the promise to come to pass. We need to try harder, pray harder, do more, be more. When Jesus is saying, when the apostles are showing us, if you will just wait and stay devoted to me, when you will, if you will just trust my leadership more than you trust your own logic and your own common sense, and if you'll just have a little faith that I am who I say I am and I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do, the promise, look, 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 when the promise showed up, when the day of Pentecost came, they were found waiting for the promise. Our devotion to Jesus, our, our devotion to Him when it doesn't make sense, our devotion to Him when we would rather do our own thing, positions us to receive the promise. Can you imagine if one of those 120 got fed up after day three, and they're like, you know what? I don't know. I don't know. Jesus just, maybe He was wrong. Or maybe we heard wrong, or maybe we missed it, but I'm leaving. I'm out. I'm going to head to Judea because maybe he's going to show up there, but it's not happening here because it's not happening on my timeline. And it's not happening how I thought it would, and this doesn't make any sense. And why would he have us all crammed in this upper room? What is he doing? It doesn't make sense. Can you imagine if you were that one that just said, you know what, I'm going to go, I'm going to leave. I'm going to trust myself a little bit. And you start walking down the road, and you turn around, and you, you, you see the commotion, and you miss the promise. I don't want us as individuals to miss the promises of God in our life because we don't trust his leadership, because we're not willing to be devoted to him when it doesn't make sense. And if we as a church are going to be the hands and feet of Jesus, if we're going to make disciples, if we're going to be a place where people can come and experience the love and the grace and the power of God, people can come and hear the gospel and respond and learn what it means to follow, if all those things are going to happen, we have to be as a church Willing to wait, willing to trust, willing to choose the leadership of Jesus. Because here's the reality. We're going to have amazing strategies. We're going to have amazing outreach opportunities. We're going to have service initiatives and growth opportunities. We're going to have so many things we could do. But the moment we stop waiting and choosing and trusting and praying and seeking and waiting, and trusting, and seeking. The moment we stop, the moment we say, you know what, this is a good ministry, and I bet it will bless a lot of people, and I'm sure God would be really happy with that. Let's just go do it. Is the moment we lose ourselves. It's the moment that Jesus is no longer the head of the church. It's the moment that we are. It's the moment that our ideas become paramount. It's the, it's the moment that Antioch becomes about how good of strategy can the leadership of Antioch come up with. And that's when we'll lose ourselves, and we'll lose the mission and we'll miss out on the promise. So we as a church have to be willing to wait, to trust, to choose. And we call that devotion. The early church was born out of a place of devotion. I just don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I mean, God works all things together for his good. He had a plan and a purpose. I don't know what would have happened if those 120 hadn't stayed and waited. I just know that those 120 wouldn't have been the ones that the promise came to. If they went their own way, if they chose their own strategy, if they, if they, if, if they just left and they didn't wait and pray. We have to be a people that trust the leadership of Jesus. You with me? Okay. Here we go. So let's continue um, rolling through Acts here. So that was uh, Acts... Uh, we ended just there on Acts uh, verse 4. 
So verse 5 through 13, I don't think I have it up there on the screen, so just follow with me. It's real simple. Here's what happens. The Holy Spirit falls, and things get really weird, really quick. And crowds start to gather. And they start hearing things being said in their own language. And people that are there seeing and hearing this are saying uh, things like, they're, they're amazed, they're perplexed, they're confused. There are those that are mocking them. There are those that think they're drunk. I mean, this is a crazy scene as 120 people who didn't know what to expect when the Holy Spirit came, who didn't know what it was going to look like, suddenly it falls and they're talking and speaking in different languages and it looks like fires on them and things just get really weird. And, uh, and then Peter stands up. So the uh, uh, verses, uh, Acts 2, uh, let's see, 14 through 41. Those are, that is Peter's first sermon. That's the first sermon ever preached by a, a, a man not named Jesus. It's the gospel. Here's what I want to point out about how Peter preaches the gospel. Because here's what we learn from later. At least 3,000 people have gathered. And 3,000, if 3,000 people gathered outside of the falls event center, and they were just pressed up against the glass, what's going on in there? What are they doing? What are they talking about? Who is this Jesus? And there'd be those that are mocking and those that are making fun and those that are interested and those that are confused. But if 3,000 people press their noses to the glass, it would be really weird. And I would not do what Peter did. Here's my, here would be our first, this is why we wait and trust on the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Because our first instinct would be, uh, let's get some food trucks and, and, and let's get some music. And, and quick, we've got 3,000, don't let them leave. And, and, and let's, let, let's tell them all about life group. And let's get them into life group. And, and, and let's have them come back next Sunday. And we'll have like a welcome to Antioch day. And we'll share a meal. And, and we'll tell them about how cool we are. And how, we'll show them how normal we are. And we're not these weird. And we're not weird and all this stuff. And hopefully we'll get them plugged into life group. And they'll make friends. And, and they'll stick because they've made friends. And hopefully, and hopefully they won't leave. And then some, at some point in the next, I don't know, year or two or three, someone will talk to them about Jesus. And someone will share the gospel. And they'll get their life transformed and they'll become new people. And let's do that. Someone call the food trucks. But here's what Peter does. I, ha- I think we have it up on the screen. Remember, when Jesus, when Jesus said the Holy Spirit was going to come, what, what, would he, what did he say was going to happen? The Holy Spirit's going to come in power and you're going to be my witness. The purpose of the Holy Spirit coming on people It's not to have cool stories. It's not to have weird stories. It's not to be charismatic or not charismatic. It's not to debate theology. It's to point people to the gospel. It's to make Jesus famous. And so here's what happens. Peter stands up. The Holy Spirit's fallen on him. He's emboldened like never before. This is the same Peter that was denying Jesus just a few weeks earlier. And he stands up. Verse 23. Now, now, uh, hold on. Pause. Remember, this is the festival of Pentecost. So Jews from all over the world have descended on Jerusalem. He is preaching to the, the people of Israel. He's, he's preaching to a Jewish crowd. And he says, This man, being Jesus, was handed over to you by God's liber- deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. And then he doubles down on it a few minutes later. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, Lord and Messiah. He's telling the 3,000 people what they don't want to hear. It would be me opening that door and saying, you killed Jesus. Your sin put him on the cross. 
You're the reason why he had to die. You put him there. I put him there. We put him there. That's not what people want to hear. That's not the most attractive gathering strategy to look at a crowd of people and say, you killed the Messiah. That's what Peter does. And here's what I want to point out. His boldness was through, by, by, empowered by the Holy Spirit, but it's a boldness that I think comes as the fruit of devotion. It's not a boldness that comes from self-righteousness and pride. It's not a boldness. Peter is not getting up and saying, you killed Jesus to make himself look good. He's not saying, you killed Jesus and I didn't. It's your fault. You're in sin. You're messed up. You're broken. I mean, the gospel tells us what we don't want to hear about ourselves. That's why you've been around here for a little while. You've heard me say, you and I, we're broken, messed up people. We're sinful, broken, hurting people, and we need Jesus. And that's not the most attractive. That can be offensive to people. But it's a boldness that isn't rooted in, 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 hey, I'm better than you. We've got this thing figured out. It's a boldness that comes from, I'm in love with Jesus, and I've encountered him, and I'm choosing him, and I'm trusting him, and I don't have all the answers. I don't know why all the promises haven't come to pass yet in my life and in your life. But here's what I know. I need Jesus, and we need Jesus. And here's, here's the gospel. That's boldness. It's not boldness that debates it's not boldness that argues. Can I just say, the church's job was never to convince people to join the church. Like, so here, let it be known. Let it be known at Antioch Salt Lake City. We're not here to try to get people to join our church. Like, because that's actually not what we see in Scripture. Our job is to point people to Jesus and let them choose. It's up to them. I can't, if I can debate you into Jesus, someone else can debate you out of it. I, I, we're just here to present the gospel and, the, and emboldened through the Holy Spirit out of a passion and a devotion to Jesus. And here's the reality. We're going to, like, well, let's just look at verse 41. You guys have been reading it for a couple of minutes, so I should have put it on a different slide. But those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Those that accepted. So there's more than 3,000 people with their heads pressed to the glass. But 3,000 believe, and the church is born. People didn't believe Peter. People rejected Peter's message. People rejected Jesus. People didn't believe him. People aren't going to believe me. People aren't going to believe us. We're going to get rejected. Hey, there's two things that I see when I read the book of Acts, that when the gospel is preached, two things always happen. People get saved, and people get angry. So we as a church, like our boldness and our devotion to Jesus, there has to be an, we have to be okay with rejection. If you're not okay with rejection, then you're going to try and, and convince people to stay. And you're going to try and convince people to, to join. And you're going to try and convince people that you're right and they're wrong. And it starts deviating from the church. And it starts becoming like, I don't know, real life Facebook. Where it's just everyone's debating and getting entrenched in their own ideologies. And I don't know. I don't have Facebook, so I can say that. <laughs> the church was birthed. I mean, this is literally the moment. So you had 120 believers, okay? And then the, the Holy Spirit falls. Peter gives his sermon. Now you've got at least 3,120 believers. The church has been born, and it was born out of a place of devotion to Jesus and boldness through the Holy Spirit. You with me? All right. I always mess up my notes, man. Okay, give me one sec. Here we go. 
So we're going to wrap up here. That, that uh, Peter's sermon takes us all the way to the last six verses of the second book of Acts. And if you've been around Antioch for a while, you've probably heard Acts 2, 42 through 47. There are a lot of churches I mean, that, 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 that claim this motto, claim this passage, try to live it out. But let's read it because it is a beautiful passage that's coming on the tails of, I mean, 3,000 believed, and then the next, the next verse is explaining how they began to live out this thing we call the church. So the, the, the six verses that we're about to read, it's a description, and I would say a prescription for us for how to live out this thing called the church. It's beautiful, and as we're reading it, we're going to find it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to live it, it's one thing to read it, it's another thing to do it. Let's read it. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves, oh, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give it to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke, they broke bread in their homes and ate with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. Then the church was born. Okay. Leave that, why don't you go ahead and leave that up there? Thanks, Dan. It's beautiful. Like, it's like if, if church was like this, like from then until today, man, who wouldn't want to go to church? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's what we would now call the Bible. Uh, they devoted themselves to fellowship, to hanging out with each other, to breaking of bread. Now, breaking of bread, uh, communion and eating. Breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Signs and wonders are being performed. The believers were together. They had all things in common. They were selling things to give to people who had need. And every day they meet together in the temple courts. They, they eat together in their homes. They're having fun. They're glad. They're sincere. They're worshiping together. They're enjoying favor. And people are coming and they're, seeing, they're, they're looking at what's happening. And they're like, what is this, Jesus, that you guys are worshiping? What is this thing you're doing? I need it, I'm in, and the Lord every day is growing the church. They devoted themselves. Can I challenge us? What things in life are we devoted to? I mean, devotion. If we go back to, to what I was talking about earlier. When they devoted themselves to Jesus, when they chose to trust Him, when they chose to wait, when they chose to wait for His leadership, when they chose to pray and press in, what's the common denominator? Over and over, devote, to devote yourself to someone or something is to choose it or choose them, even when it's hard, and even when you don't want to, and even when it doesn't make sense. That's devotion. And I think, I think for me, when I, think, when I hear the word devotion, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is marriage. I'm devoted to my wife. That means I choose my wife. I choose her when I want to. I choose to lay my life down for her when I want to. And I choose her when I don't want to. When I'd rather be doing my own selfish thing, when I'd rather be doing what I want to do, I'm devoted to her. I choose her. On the good days and the bad, the ugly, the days that we're crying, the days that we're celebrating, I choose her. And I will choose her every day for the rest of my life. That's devotion. They devoted themselves 
to each other. That means they chose each other. That means they chose church when they didn't want to. That means they chose fellowshipping with each other when they'd rather be at home by themselves because they're introverts. That means when life group was a little bit uh, in a lull or just wasn't really meeting their needs. We'll talk about that later. That means when, when the worship leader has stopped playing your favorite song, it's like out of his rotation. That means like when the preacher like isn't as, as whatever fill in the blank as the one down the street. On and on and on. When we've had hard days, when we've had long days, when we're tired. Guys, if I'm honest, I would never leave my house. And that's why I love that I married Kate, because I married a woman who would stay with me. We would never leave. That's, that's what we would choose. <laughs> but we're devoted to this thing called the church. We're devoted to this thing that's the hope of the world. We're devoted to this thing, to this community being built and being established and being rooted in love for the benefit of each other and for the glory of God. We are devoted and committed to you guys, to each other, not in a weird because we're leaders, but just like the church. I could get fired tomorrow. I'm going to be devoted to the church because I can't make it without it, and I'm not designed to make it without it. We have to be devoted to each other, and, 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 and here's the deal. Devoted to the church, being all in. I'm not asking for like your unbridled loyalty and like you can never miss a Sunday. And like, like guys, come on, balance and reason. Most of us are adults in the room. Hear what I'm saying. Like this isn't a pledge your life away to Antioch, pledge your life away to the church. But there's a value here that they caught. And the weird thing is they caught it like right away. Why did they catch it? Because they didn't have church growing up. They hadn't been to church their whole life and learned how to play the game and learned how to speak the language. Church hadn't become to them that thing you do on Sunday to make your parents happy, that thing you have to do before you can go watch football, that thing you have to do before you can go get dinner. To them, church was everything. They didn't know how to live life for Jesus. They had just accepted the message, and they're like, how do we do it? How do we live this thing out? How do we love him and, and devote ourselves to him? How do we learn how to grow in maturity towards him? How do we do it? And they're like, let's just do it together because it's, we're not going to make it on our own. We, we have a blueprint. So I'm not asking for your like, you know, weird loyalty. I'm asking that the Holy Spirit would drop in us a value for the body of Christ. And if you're here and you're visiting, thank you for visiting and I don't care where you get plugged in. Just get plugged in. There are churches all over this valley that are doing amazing things, that are worshiping Jesus, that are making disciples. And I'm not here to play territorial games and try to get everyone to come to Antioch. We're here for the glory of God to see the church move forward in this valley. So if you're visiting and you're like, man, this isn't my vibe, I get it. Just get plugged in. What I don't want to see is people show up to church and it didn't satisfy their needs or whatever. There's, there's legitimate reasons why you would go to a different church. I, I get it. But just don't Lone Ranger it. Because, again, I don't see Lone Rangering in the Scripture. Okay. Let's land the plane. So sometimes when you read Scripture, it's like, 
it's amazing to try and like mine out like the gold. And there's revelation and it's, it's, uh, it's up to us. We get to just the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of scripture. And then there's other times where you just have to read it and do it. So as I was, that didn't get a laugh. I thought it would, but um, that was like the one time in my message I thought I'd get a laugh. So, so I'm, I'm praying over this message, I'm, this idea of devotion. Like, okay, Lord, they were devoted to, to you. They were devoted to each other. And I started just thinking, and I started reading the beginning of Acts uh, 2.42. So what did they do? They devoted themselves to each other, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, to prayer. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They broke bread in homes. They praised God together. Like, why can't we do, what, like, are we doing it? That was the question as I read. It was like, this, isn't a mis- this one isn't a mystery, really, at least not to me. This isn't like, let's try to decipher what they were doing and what the, what the word's trying to say. Like, it's right, well, this isn't the word of God, but it's my notes. But it's right there. So I said, well, what if we just did it? And in fact, I was in a uh, meeting this morning with some leaders, and they were telling me about how life group recently, they were reading this passage, and they were talking about this whole series about what is the church? What are we called to do? And they read the part in that, in that passage where it says that they were selling things and giving to people who had need. And instead of reading a cool, cool passage, having a great uh, discussion about it, having some snacks and going home, they just said, well, what if, why don't we do it? And so as a life group, they just started going around and saying, who's got needs? Who's got practical needs and who's got financial needs? And let's just figure out as a little family, how do we start meeting each other's needs? What do we need to do? What do we need to sell? What do we need to give? Who's got, ex- who's got some, who, what can we sacrifice so that other people's needs can be met in this little family we call life group? They did it. And that's not, like, oh, guys, it's amazing, and it shouldn't be wow. It should be like, yeah, yeah, that's life group. That's what we do. That's, what are you doing at life group? I mean, if you're not in a life group, wow, it sells itself. <laughs> you got needs, get in a life group. Get in a life group. But the power of this passage is not in the reading it, it's not in the studying it, it's in the doing it. So I just thought, why don't we just do it as a church? So, it's hard to be devoted to each other if we don't really know each other. So we're going old school, if you're with me on this. Let's do a church potluck. Okay. All right. Stay with me. I think those old school, like, Bible-believing, like, whatever denomination you want to put on them, I, I grew up in a non-denominational church, but my best friend went to a Methodist church, and, and uh, I would go to his church sometimes and, and sit through the message. It wasn't the, my most favorite thing in the world, but I knew that after, uh, on like the last Sunday of every month, all those old grandmas were going to have brought their crock pots, and they were going to have, and they were, and we were going to feast, and I was like, this is church, like this is, and and so I'm reading this, and I'm like, why couldn't we? Like, yes, we can do it in life groups. Why don't we just do it as a church? So May 26th, we're having a church potluck. All right, now, hey, there's a lot of clapping going on. There's a lot of hollering, and I love it. But here's the reality. This thing will be as good as you and I make it. A lot of people hollering. If all you people hollering show up thinking everyone else brought stuff, we're going to have some chips and salsa and some Fanta, and it's going to be weird, and we're going to be like, this is not the church. This is not the church. They would not be happy with us. 
So here's my vision. I'm going to bring you into my vision as I close. Here's my vision for May 26th, and then I'm going to have an action point for you on that. We're going to come in through those doors, and we're going to line the, the, the outside walls with some six-foot tables, and we're going to have a team of people, and we're going to uh, have people setting up their food everywhere on the outside, but you're not going to eat yet. And we're not going to have any chairs set up. And you're going to come in, you're going to put your food down, and then you know what else they did? They worshiped and they prayed. So we're going to worship a little bit, we're going to pray a little bit, and then as a church, we're going to roll out a bunch of tables, and we're going to set up chairs, and then we're going to eat. And guess what? I know you introverts might not like it, but you can have a name tag on. Because how can you be devoted to each other if you don't know each other's names? There's people in here that are like, you always sit over there, and you always sit over there, and you go to the same church for three years, but you would run into each other in Whole Foods and be like, I think I know that person. You've sat in church. You've, you've cried during worship together. You just didn't know it. We got to know each other if we're going to be devoted to each other, okay? May 26th. So here's what I want everyone to do. Pull out your smartphone once again. If you are not signed up to the email newsletter. This is not like, I did not do all of this to get more emails, okay? But we have to organize this thing. We have to like plan it and structure it and get people to sign up so that we don't have 7,000 cookies and nothing else. So we're going to organize some signups for it, and then we're going to email that list out Monday or Tuesday, and here's where it's on y'all. You got to check your email. For the love of the Lord in heaven, check your email. Y'all are really good at work. Y'all got work emails, and y'all are like, like, like professional and blah, blah. But we send out an email, and it's like crickets, nothing. So let's go. Check your email, sign up, and we're going to be promoting it for the next couple of weeks. And then we're going to have a potluck, and we're going to devote ourselves to each other. And just so you know, we're not stopping there. There's needs all over this place, and we're going to figure out how to meet them. And I've got, we'll talk about that next week, okay? All right, I, I said I needed to land the plane. All right. Potluck. Hot look. Y'all, I like it. I like the momentum we got here, but it's in three weeks. A lot can happen in three weeks. I'm going to send a lot of emails. Okay. Devotion and boldness. It's been the DNA of the church from day one. We're not looking to deviate from it. We as, a, we as a body of Christ, we as a church called Antioch, we've got to be devoted to Jesus. We've got to, as individuals, we've got to be devoted to Jesus. We've got to be willing to trust his leadership. We've got to be willing to wait on him. We've got to be, if you ever heard the phrase, let's wait on God and just see what he does. Let's do that all the time. Let's be a people who wait and don't trust ourselves more than we trust the leadership of Jesus. And as a church, we can commit to one another that we're going to wait on the leadership of Jesus and we're going to go where he goes and we're going to do what he does and we're going to start the ministries that he wants us to start and we're going to do the events he wants us to do and everything else might be really good ideas but we're going to push that to the side because Jesus knows what this city needs. Jesus knows what this church needs more than we do. We've got to be devoted and we've got to have boldness. A boldness that's not rooted in, in anything but love and devotion and a boldness that's okay with people rejecting us. A boldness that's okay with saying, hey, here's the gospel. Here's what's changed my life. You don't have to accept it. But here it is. I'm not going to water it down for you, but you don't have to accept it. Come to Antioch. Hey, the 26th, invite them to a potluck. We'll share the gospel. If they want to get saved, they get saved. Like, we're just here to be a people that love Jesus, that love each other, and that make disciples, and that aren't afraid to preach the gospel. You with me? All right. If you're in the room tonight, and you're like, man, devoted to Jesus sounds amazing. I don't even know him. I've never met him. I've never made him Lord. Well, here we go. Tonight's the night, if you want it. <laughs> Not up to me. 
The Bible says that to be saved is just to call on the name of Jesus, to believe he did what he said he did, to believe he died for you, to believe he died for your sins, to, that he made a way that you could have a relationship with the Father, that you could be set free from the penalty of sin, that you could be set free from the power of sin. Jesus modeled how to live life, how to do life. He did all of that for you while you were still dead in sin, while you still didn't care he even existed. That's the gospel. And to believe it is just to believe it. It's a free gift to call on his name, to believe in your heart, to confess with your mouth and say, Jesus, I'm yours. I can't be the Lord of my own life anymore. It's just not working. That's all it is. The church can make it everything they want to do. They can put all the hoops and steps for you. But the reality is it's just that simple. Free gifts are that simple. So if you want to bow your heads all across the room as the band comes up, I'm going to pray. And if you're in the house tonight and you're like, I, I need Jesus. Before I can be devoted to him, I need to know him. Before I can give my life to him, I've got to meet him. Today's the day of salvation. I'm going to pray, and you can repeat after me, or you can make it your own, uh, own words. He's after your heart. Jesus, I need you, and I choose you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for being devoted to me and choosing me when I didn't deserve it. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for conquering death. Jesus, I don't, I don't understand it all. I don't have all the answers, but I choose you. Would you come be Lord of my life? I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you did what you said you did, and you did it for me. Amen.